everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Modern League Podcast. I'm Steve Seiper, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Levin, and Thomas Henderson. How you guys doing? Good, good. You're doing well. Better than the Met offense. Well, that's easy. Yeah, I mean, Very that's low pretty low bar. <laughs> Somehow. Alright, so promote, extend, trade today. And on this date in 1912, the RMS Titanic left port in Ireland, obviously headed for New York. And the uh, the unsinkable ship that it was, it, it didn't make it. So what teams are we going to promote, extend, or trade of these teams that seemed like they were unsinkable, but ultimately they did not make it to um, the promised land of hoisting World Series trophy? Is this is this is this your uh, prognostication for the 2021 Mets now, Steve? Mm-hmm. Oh, they're a 500 team, maybe a little bit better. No, anyway, okay. So first up, we have the 2001 Mariners. They set the major league record for 116 wins, most in major league history, but they lost the Yankees in the ALCS. Next up, we have the 2007 Rockies. They basically did not lose a single game in all of September and mowed through everybody that they played in the playoffs. That they played in the in the playoffs, but they lost to the Red Sox in the World Series. Got swept. And then finally, we have the 1969 Orioles. They won 109 games. They were dominating the American League. They were a legitimate dynasty, but they couldn't couldn't get past the uh, Miracle Mets. And that uh that Mariners roster was freaking stacked. Yeah. I think even even like the non elite names, there are a lot of like consistently good major leaguers. Like they had Scott Pesetnik for a little bit. They had Jay Buhner on the bench. Uh Joel Pinero was their sixth starter. And they didn't even make it to the World Series. Like, no. that's nope. for me why I'm picking them. Like, they're my top choice here. Because, like, they were the best team in the league and just totally sacked and didn't even make it. Like, the Rockies made it. And to lose in the World Series sucks, but, I mean, they got one step further. <laughs> also, the Rockies weren't particularly good that year, even. Like, they just, if I recall correctly, mm-hmm. went fucking bonkers right down the stretch. And then... Somehow, made, and then anything can happen in the playoffs, and they hit the Red Sox, and the Red Sox were real good. You know, just I'm just trying to figure out what the optimal lineup here is: Ichiro, Edgar Martinez, Olerud batting third, Brett Boone fourth, Mike Cameron fifth. The bottom of the lineup is actually not that great, like Carlos Guillen and David Bell. But that that top five is just disgustingly good. You could live with that. <laughs> you could live with that. We can live with a couple of all-stars and Hall of Famers. When your top five is that good, you could kind of float with the bottom of it being okay. Uh, I'm going to assume that they actually batted Guillen towards the top of the lineup because two hitters are supposed to be bunters or slap, whatever the hell. So yeah, The Mariners are the, the extent for me. And I'm trading the Rockies, which I guess means I'm promoting the uh, Orioles. 
for me, the Orioles won a lot, though. Like, yeah. like those teams were good anyway, so, like, they didn't win in 69, which for them sucks, but, like, they won around that, so it's fine. Like, mm-hmm. you could, you, you don't have to win them all. Like, they made it to the promised land a few times, but. The Mariners. Purely like, in terms of upset, the Orioles is a pretty big, uh, Orioles losing to the Mets is, like, a massive, massive upset. Oh, yeah, it's mm-hmm. insane. <laughs> like, you lap- want to play guess Frank Robinson's triple slash during the 1966 <laughs> season? Uh, I'm going to go with 342, 450, 500. No, 308, 415, 540. That was uh, 166 WRC+. Jesus Christ. They had two separate players above 7 F4. Jesus. Really good team. <laughs> he walked 13.7% of the time against a 9.6% strikeout rate. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. Don't pitch to him at that point. It's just like, oh, I'm good. But they've got, like, four other future Hall of Famers. Now <laughs> yeah. <I> <laughs> Yeah, I think for me that was the that was my extend because that's the biggest upset. I mean, you have the legitimate dynasty, the Orioles dynasty, and then the Mets are good. They won over a hundred games, I think, that year, or close but to it. Even, but even them is the same thing as the Rockies, where it was like a mad sprint. Right, exactly. Baseball, and still they were still the Mets. I mean, you know, especially like then they were like that was like the first time they were ever remotely. Not horrible. <laughs> like, right. I mean, uncharted territory. The Mar- maybe the Mariners were too good, right? Because uh, the team with the best record in every sport didn't win the the championship. I don't know what team it is in hockey, but in baseball, it's the Mariners. In football, it's the 2007 Patriots. In basketball, the 17 I'm or 18. Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure the best team in, in the NHL won that year. Oh, they did? Well, that yeah. ruins the curse then. Never mind. Mm. I'll tell you in two seconds. I keep trying to get into hockey and then they did. not actually get Oh, well, crap. The 1976-77 Montreal Canadiens were the team to do it. Mm-hmm. If we're going to do hockey stuff, we're going to do points. They finished with 132 points. Which how, is, in how many games? Which is a 68 and 12 record, and they won the cup. That seems good. <laughs> it's a lot of wins. We like wins. Alright, let's move on now to our way too early draft updates. And my guy, uh, Jude Fabian. No, excuse me, Judd Fabian. <laughs> he, he, he. Why would you? I, I just J U D just be Jude. Come on, guys. But he paid in four games this week: one against Florida A and M, one against Stetson, two against Tennessee, and he went four for thirteen with a pair of home runs, two walks, and believe it or not, just one single solitary strikeout. Oh, so, oh my god! Definitely an up week for him. He, did, he he corrected some stuff there. So yeah, that brings him to a total batting line this year of two forty two, three forty three, six seventy five, with eleven eleven homers, nineteen walks, 
<laughs> 47 strikeouts in 30 <laughs> games. Even after a week where he doesn't strike out, that's the... Uh, yeah, exactly. It could have been worse. Uh, Lucas, how is Brady How's doing? You know, more of the same, basically. It's it's pretty... The, the slash line remains a um, robust 531-630-1107. That'll play. So hmm. it's not even it's not even like he got out to a hot like a particularly hot start. No, he's uh holding steady at uh, a stat line of that uh, magnitude. Um, most recent game was on the seventh, and he went uh, two for three. He made an out, shockingly, you know, tra- trade um, two for three with a home run though. So it's. This dude is, is, is sick of beating up on his high school opposition at this point, I would have to think. Or they're certainly sick of playing against him. I mean, he, he's batting he's batting 500 and his OBP is only 600. That's, no, that's he, he's, a little batting, he's batting 530. It's, it's, in 69 games, nice, he has 119 hits and 108 runs. <laughs> Somehow only 57 RBIs, but I assume like his teammates suck or something. I don't know. Well, speaking of suck, Thomas, I think you have some yeah. sucky news to share. Uh, Jaden Hill tore his UCL, so he'll be out for like a year. He'll have Tommy John surgery, and this opens the—I guess it opens the door for a, for a JT Ginn situation where you could maybe get him later than you well, not maybe you will get him later than he should go because he's currently hurt. Um, but yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> um, he's out for the season, so. We will talk about him in more detail probably when draft time rolls around and his name's starting to get flown around again. So does Thomas have to find a new person or does yeah, he was, just get to coat through, coat yeah, through these segments for the rest research? of the year? No, we'll, we'll make him find someone new because... Got you. That's just not fair. I was actually thinking about this. How, and I'm, I'm not really that familiar with the new rules, with the eligibility of... Um, like all of the basically since last season was a everybody gets a do over from last season. What exactly is his eligibility, um, draft eligibility, and and whatnot? Um, because he's te- he's technically a junior, but he could also be technically a, a sophomore, kind of. Yeah, I'm not, I'm really not sure either. Um. I'm not sure if he gains an extra year in terms of like he could be like a he'll be like a 22 year old junior next year because he's 21 now. Right. Um, honestly, though, if he gets drafted, I think he's just gonna go anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, I would. I would assume. I don't even. I, to be totally honest, I don't even think he uh, uh, makes it to the second. I don't think he, so either. He feels like the. <clears throat> I've, Typically, I feel like if you have a college pitcher who was projected in the teens, gets hurt, then he that's the guy that gets drafted in the second. You have a guy who might have gone top five who gets hurt. Some team in the late teens or early 20s will roll the dice. The Nationals have done this a lot uh, with semi or totally injured arms uh, since they've been fairly decent in picking in the low 20s, high teens for a while. Um, so... Uh, I don't think he makes it back to the Mets, but if he does, go for it. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I would, I would get JT again on the phone right now, have him uh-huh. hype the Mets. Yeah. 
That's exactly right. what should be happening if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lucas, um, excuse me, not Lucas, Ken. Adrian Del Castillo has been incredibly uh, steady the last couple of weeks. Do we have any changes in that? No, no real variance. <laughs> hmm. He he's still he's still you know making a lot of contact. Uh, that that's sort of an uptick. Um, he's now up to three fourteen four oh eight four ninety on the year. Um, so we're still waiting for some more power to show up. But this week, um, he went seven for eighteen with one double, and is now at. And even twelve strikeouts against twelve walks. So, jeez, <laughs> really, really nothing has changed. <laughs> this, for this maybe the uh, third or fourth week in a row. Yeah, we we like steadiness in baseball, but it's kind of a little boring, I guess. I mean, Ken yeah, and I I'm have had it pretty easy board, here. <laughs> I'm hoping some of that boredom leads him to drop out of the. Uh, you know, I. I Maybe he was in the the five to eight range. So hopefully people get a little bit tired of him and <laughs> he's still there. And prospect fatigue is real. That it is. All right. We will move over now to the Asian leagues with our CPBL, KBO, and PB update. And first we'll look at the Uni Lions, our CPBL team. They are currently ten and nine, which is good for fourth place out of five teams. They went two and uh, excuse me, they went three and two this week. No ties, which is a good thing. Um, all of their outfielders are basically in the top percentile in terms of offense, and all of their farm pitchers are pitching well. So you know, sometimes things just don't fully click, and as Mets fans, we know that all too well. <laughs> Next up are the LG Twins, and the KBO season started this week. So they are 5-2, and two, which puts them in first place. Andrew Suarez, who is their new foreign pitcher, he threw eight scoreless innings in his KBO debut. And Casey Kelly, who's been there for a couple of years now, he's off to another good start. So it looks like um, the Twins, the LG Twins, have some, hopefully, some consistent pitching, and that'll be big for them. Give them uh, time for the offense to wake up. And finally, the Occult Swallows, and they were uh, a 500 team this week. Uh, excuse me, they were a 500 team last week. And they went 2-2 two and two with a tie this week. So that keeps them at 500. They have a 5-5-3 five, five and three record, which is good for third place. And Munetaka Murakami, he is still dominating. He's currently hitting... 293, 482, 707 with five homers. And Tetsuo Yamada is still scuffling a little bit with the 670 OPS. So, not good. So strange. Like, there, there are stars that obviously fall off cliffs, but you wouldn't expect this. It's very, it's not old. Mm-hmm. And he's also like, there, there are also guys, I, I should phrase that another way, right? Like, there are second or third tier stars who fall off cliffs, but usually the elite, elite players stay there because you can't luck into being that good. So, it's a little odd. 
The only thing I could think of is that he's still dealing with lingering uh, effects of the injury that he had last year. And Japan, Japanese culture, Japanese baseball is notorious for, you know, rub dirt on it and get back on the field, that kind of thing. So Yeah. I don't know though. It, it, it still, it, it could also be, you know, small sample size. It is, you know, basically 13 games. I mean, if you look at some of the stats right now, Andres Jimenez has more home runs than Francisco Lindor. Yeah. I don't think that's going to, uh, last. So. I mean, if, if Lindor could stop beating every ball into the ground, that'd be great. <laughs> They've had um, a remarkably weird start to the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's supposed to rain tomorrow too. Recording this on Sunday, so like yep. they might not play again until Tuesday, and it's just they've been nothing but stop start the entire time. It's, it must be tough on the hitters. Well, speaking of uh, remarkably weird, we have some some pretty important roster news to report. And I would say it is pretty weird. Um, J.D. Davis was put on the disabled list. Fine. Jose Peraza, he was called up to take that spot on the roster. Okay, fine. And Franklin Kilome was designated for assignment. Uh, Definitely not fine. Like, what? Why? Uh, I don't know if Kilome, if he ever takes the steps forward that he needs to become like a valuable major league player in some way shape or form obviously he needs to take those steps forward but the odds that he figures that out are I think higher than the odds of Daniel Zamora who was on the 40 man roster having yeah. value so or, screw Daniel Zamora where the fuck is Patrick Mazeka or, or Patrick Mazeka uh, you know no disrespect to them but yeah I don't know. Caleb is a fine DFA if the 40-man was a little more stacked, but it's not. So, like, it's it's just bizarre. Like, I don't really... I would like to understand... I, I would like to ask why um, some guys are surviving it over him. And it's entirely possible he's, pro- he's probably going to get claimed. Or they'll trade him or something. But oh, yeah, a, bad, a bad team is 100% claiming yeah. him, and they're going to trade him for something fairly minor. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, he'll get like IFA money or something. They they have almost no optionable pitching either. He's one of their few pitchers on the forty that had options. Yeah, I, I would say at least four guys. Yeah, at least four guys on the forty man roster. I would DFA before him. At least, and and it's not like the uh, pitching staff and the bullpen especially has uh, portrayed itself well. This year, so like, it's just it's surprising they don't want to give him another shot. Now, I mean, this could be a case of like he looks horrible, sure, and we just don't have that information yet. But you would think that that information would have been that that information would have gotten out at some point between when spring training ended and now, like, you know, but even a week and he, a half, two weeks. Even if he looked horrible, like, okay, I don't think we saw him a ton in spring, whatever. Maybe he looks bad at the alt site. 
But we also saw him last year, and sure, the surface results weren't great, but there was stuff there. You could see how it could become viable. I don't see... Well, of course, now it's a new regime, right? And they come in with their own opinions on players. But I don't see how you could go from the looks you got last year, where he looked like he had a future as a semi-viable major league pitcher, um, and then decide based on what amounts to a couple weeks in spring training or at the alt site that, nah, we don't want this guy anymore. And more importantly, we, we want this guy less than we want a third catcher who hasn't played above double A and isn't actually a catcher and also can't hit. Also <laughs> can't hit. <laughs> like, it, it's baffling. I don't know. Yeah, I don't get it either. The joke to make here, and I'm definitely not the first person to make this, either in the Slack or on Twitter, is that the Rays are going to pick out this dude and turn him into like a multi-inning relief weapon for two seasons, then flip him for a real prospect. And it'll be like, well... I'm sure that's exactly what's going to happen. And we're going to go down in years from now remembering this like we remember Darren O'Day just kind of being well, look if he's as good as Darren O'Day is then well just uh, saying same process if nothing else but see, see we also should say that like look the most likely outcome is that he does actually suck because that's the most likely outcome for most of these guys um the process remains idiotic even if he wasn't good Mm-hmm. And it's like my problem isn't even like him, him the player getting DFA'd him itself. It's that there's like four other worse players on the forty. Like if those four other players were like his level caliber player, I'd be like, all right, sure. Like I get it. I get why you're doing that. But like now with this circumstance, it just doesn't make any sense to me. There's Wait, no Patances is only on the ten day IL. Yes. Just, uh, <laughs> I didn't even, I, I was being yeah, he's stupid. And like, I'm like, oh, Batanz is on the IL. He doesn't count towards the 40. He's only on the 10 day. Just cut Dallas Batanzas. They're definitely not going to do that. Uh, got to get him going. God damn it. I mean, honestly, they got to figure out if he's like remotely usable, which I don't think he is, but. I think that's what they're doing. They're just okay. like you could have even just put him on the sixty. Yeah. yeah, so he is he's hurt. I don't know if you can outright I mean that might be some kind of legal snag that you can't get rid of somebody while they're hurt, release them, but I don't know. Also he has like player options and stuff. So like Oh, that too. Alright. So like it's not like he's in the last year of his deal anyway, in terms of like other things. So we, even if they do DFA AM they're gonna have to pay like it's not, I don't think they'd be scared to pay him is what I'm saying, but like, there's probably a lot of paperwork that they don't want to do during the season, and they would want to do that after. No. In any case, it is just a baffling decision, regardless of yeah, his career. Mm-hmm. There's one thing that we don't like around here, it's bad process. All right, so last week um, we spoke about the Mets 
AAA affiliate, the Syracuse Mets. So this week we're going to take a look at the Mets AA affiliate, the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. Um, I used a quote last week to describe AAA, and I found a, a pretty good one that describes AA. This one is from an article from the Hardball Times by Jeff Moore uh, a couple of years ago. It's a little long, but it basically hits on all the points. And that's, I think, what makes AA the most interesting, is that there's a lot of different uh, aspects to it. So AA is basically, and I'll quote from here, the entrance to the upper minors. The jump from AA tends to be the most difficult for prospects and tells us the most about them. The double-A level is where hitters and pitchers begin to have a plan. This is where pitchers can't get by without a decent off-speed pitch, and the hitters who can't hit them are exposed. Competition is good, as evidenced by the fact that we see players jump from double-A to the majors with relative frequency. Each organization has its own philosophy on doing so, but it does happen because of the advanced level of competition there. There aren't as many players in AA with major league experience as there are in AAA, but one could argue that the pure talent level is actually higher because players are heading in an, in an upward direction as opposed to the stagnation that tends to take place with some AAA players, end quote. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty fair characterization of AA. I think that the... Not that it's raised to me too often, not that I discuss baseball with, you know, too often outside of in the baseball circles that I'm already in. But I think the most confusing thing that a lot of people get is that even though double A is below triple A, we do say that double A is more important than triple A. And mm-hmm. this, you know, his quote there, it, it hits on all those exact points as to why the case that that is, is that triple A, it's oftentimes just kind of where guys end up because that's just where they end up as opposed to double A, which is where you want to send, you know, your prospects to see how they can sink or swim and so on. Would you say that double A is like the last purely developmental uh, level? I think that's a good way of condensing everything that he said. Yeah. Double A is the last, last, point where there is pure developmental stuff going on yeah and then you get into where triple a is also a function of um how to complement the major league roster and yeah mm-hmm. so in the past um the binghamton rumble ponies were in the eastern league but from now on they are going to be playing in the double a northeast and they were in the Northeast Division. So the Rumble Ponies will be in the AA Northeast Northeast. <laughs> Again with the names, man. Jeez. I cannot wait for my AA Northeast Northeast MVP vote. It's nice. going to be a, it's going to be a hell of a ride. Other teams in the AA Northeast Northeast include the Hartford Yard Goats, who are the Colorado Rockies affiliate, the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, who are Toronto Blue Jays affiliate, the Portland Sea Dogs, who are the Red Sox affiliate. The Reading Fighting Phils, who are the Phillies um, uh, affiliate. And the most newest addition, the Somerset Patriots, who are the Yankees affiliate. Notably absent are the Trenton Thunder, who were the Yankees affiliates, but got the boot. But I don't know if anybody is on the Trenton Thunders mailing list or anything like that. B 
because the Buffalo Bison Stadium is being renovated to uh, handle Major League capacity games, the Buffalo Bison will be playing their home games this season at Arm & Hammer Stadium in Trenton. So technically, the Trenton Thunder will exist as a Triple A team this year. But wait, Steve, I thought their facilities were inadequate. Hmm. <laughs> mm. Interesting. Funny how that works. Mm-hmm. But as long as, you know, that's good. obviously good for Trenton and good for me because then I could see Rookie. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is incredible for me because I can potentially see Binghamton at uh, two different locations within probably like 35 minutes of my house. That's nice. Oh, Binghamton and Syracuse. See, uh... Oh, true. Yeah. Never mind. Whoops. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. Yeah. So mind. I can see both. Leagues. Yeah. Within 30 minutes of my house. Cause um, the Trenton Thunder is probably about 35 minutes from where I live. And uh, Somerset, the, the Somerset Patriots are like 15 minutes down to 87. Nice. Add into the mix Lakewood when Brooklyn comes over, and yeah, potentially can see all of our affiliates if Just, that's a thing that's possible. We got to send you down to Florida as our roofing reporter this year. <laughs> <laughs> so the Rumble Pony schedule—it's not going to be as restrictive as the Syracuse Mets schedule is, in that they're only going to be playing teams in the division. Um, they're going to be playing their series in week-long blocks like Syracuse was, but they're going to be playing against teams in the rest of the AA Northeast. So as a team in the AA Northeast Northeast, they're also going to be playing teams in the AA Northeast Southwest. Just FYI. As one does. Yes, and the teams in the AA Northeast Southwest include the Akron Rubber Ducks, which is the Indians affiliate, the Altoona God, Curve. I love the Rubber Ducks. Yeah. <laughs> I want to I be a baseball player who plays the Rubber Ducks. It could be worse. It could be the Yard Goat or a Trash mm-hmm. Panda. <laughs> um, the Altoona Curve, which is the Pirates affiliate, the Bowie Bay Sox, which is the Orioles affiliate, the Erie Seawolves, which is the Tigers affiliate, the Harrisburg Senators, which is the Nationals affiliate, and then Richmond Flying Squirrels, which is yeah. the San Francisco Giants affiliate. Which is the Jeff McNeil affiliate. Weirdly, <laughs> Joe Manchin won't, won't get off the Senators field, so they can't play. <laughs> Are there any? No, there's no West Virginia teams here. No. Good. The West Virginia Power, they were a... Oh. That name's terrible. Yes, they were the New York Penn League team, but they don't exist anymore. And the West Virginia Black Bears, I think they were in the South Atlantic League, and I'm not sure where they wound up. That literally sounds like a college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, minor league baseball for you. You know, it's a shame Major League Baseball felt the need to, like, gut the minor leagues but at least they also ruined the naming system while they were at it. <laughs> That's the part I'm most offended by, to be honest. You know, you guys aren't fans of the Northeast Northeast. I'm more of a Northeast Southwest guy. Um, uh, yes. The location so nice they named it twice or whatever. <laughs> 
I, I honestly can't believe that they're actually going into the season without having given the league's formal names. I don't understand how taking away International League, Pacific Coast League, Eastern League, Florida State League, whatever, causes confusion to the average person that goes to a bowl game just to enjoy it for the day and has nothing vested in anything. Yeah. Like, what is, I don't know. I think they just haven't had time to get sponsors, most likely. Or to get, like, the hockey leagues with sponsored Exactly. Which no one even uses outside of, like, the official paperwork stuff. Like, no one ever says that's the league name, too. It's just there. Or divisions, I guess, in hockey. Whatever. Well, I know that I'm going to be making it a point to always say AA Northeast Northeast and AA Northeast Southwest as much as possible, (laughs) so... They need to release shirts. Hell yeah. Double A Northeast Northeast Champions <laughs> has a good ring to it. All right. Well, the uh, manager of the Rumble Ponies is going to be Lorenzo Bundy. He was hired in 2020 to replace Kevin Bowles, and obviously 2020 never happened. Bundy, he's a baseball lifer. He spent uh, most of the 80s playing the minor leagues, and then when he... Officially retired in 1990, he started managing, and he's been basically doing that ever since in some capacity or another. In the early to mid-90s, he managed a bunch of teams in the Expo system. In 97, he was a manager in the Marlin system. In the late 2000s and early 2010s, he was a manager in the Dodgers system. And in most of those gaps where he wasn't the manager-manager, he was like a hitting coach or first-base coach or... Uh, defensive coordinator or some kind of other, you know, coaching position. So with the Syracuse Mets, because like we were saying, AAA is kind of not a developmental league and it's almost like uh, an extended roster for your major league team. We had a pretty good idea of who was going to be getting rostered there based on the cuts that were made at the end of spring training. Mm-hmm. The guys that, you know, made the Mets and who didn't. With Binghamton, it is a lot more hazy, um, especially this year coming off of a, a year where we had no season in 2020. Yeah. So guys who played for Binghamton in 2019 might start the season there again. Guys who we think are going to be going to Brooklyn might get an aggressive assignment and might get sent to Binghamton. Guys that we thought were going to be going to triple a might wind up in binghamton so we don't know really who's going to be on this team definitely is the hardest to project and really your guess is as good as mine to be honest who's going to be on the binghamton rumble ponies i mean there's also an area that mets don't have a ton of um yep exactly i was going to say that the mets weakness the biggest weakness in the system has always been kind of like solid minor league depth. And obviously, as years progress, you know, if you have a strong bottom of the system, in a couple of years, you'll have a strong top of the system as, as the guys matriculate and move up. So the weakness in, you know, a year or two ago was kind of towards the bottom of the system. And now it's kind of in the in the middle top of the system, which is where Binghamton is. So like that next- makes it... Next Even year, it's super easy. <laughs> yes. Sure, it's going to be all the dude, all the younger dudes moving up. But this year, it's just going to be like, what organizational 
depth guys do you need to fill a roster here? <laughs> and maybe like Khalil Lee if you really want him to play a lot. <laughs> so organizational depth and Khalil Lee. You know, I mean, like, like it's it's hard for it because unless they're aggressive with like a Marusio or something, I don't really know what they do. Yeah, well, that's another thing too is that since minor league baseball got all shaken up, and we've gone from having like seven affiliate affiliated teams per team to five, counting the GCL teams, the level of what's a good way of putting this. The, the level of performance that we are that we were used to in years past is not necessarily how things will be going forward. If that makes sense. Yeah. Honestly, I, major league teams are right where we are with this too. Like with the, with the placement of these players, they haven't done this yet either. So mm-hmm. there's going to be a learning curve for even them because they're going to maybe push a guy too aggressively one time and regret it, or maybe not realize that high egg has this, you know what I mean? Like, it's going to be tough for them. They're, mm-hmm. They, they got to figure out where everyone's going to. So. I mean, a good example would be the former new, former Brooklyn Cyclones of the New York Penn League. They were the short A affiliate. That league was, and level was more or less, you know, kind of advanced, um, IFAs that have been around for a couple of years yeah. and college draftees fresh out of college. Now that's those players are still going to be getting drafted and assigned and everything like that, but where exactly are they going to be going? I mean, the draft is being pushed back, so they're not really uh going to be introduced into the system. That sounds very weird. <laughs> they're not going to be uh, you know, assigned to a team in the middle of the year, like it used to be. They're going to be basically, if you're drafted this season, you'll get your first real assignment in 2022. But where are all these guys going to be winding up? I mean, if you have, you know, a, a really solid college pitcher, let's say, do you send them to high A? Do you send them to double A? Yeah. Probably you don't send him to low A because that's probably still far inferior. So, like Thomas is saying, it really is a learning curve for everybody involved here. Yeah, I don't know. It, 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 I really don't know what to expect going forward here. Um, well, there is one constant. Uh, Patrick Mazaika will be playing catcher probably. <laughs> Most likely. Uh, I, friend I of the podcast, Carlos me. Cortez, will probably end up there. Oh, yeah. I think okay, so. Yep, yep. ABL batting champ. I could see this team being really exciting in, like, three months. When guys starting to get called up. When, like, moved up, I mean. When, like, someone mashes at a level below and you move them up, and then you're like, oh, okay, now I can pay a little get more. Me, get me on that Brett Beatty hype train. I think that is something that we're going to be seeing a lot more of this year is a lot more promotions. And I don't know about demotions because that doesn't really happen too often. But I think we're going to see a lot more promotions this year than we have in years past because of exactly what we've been talking about. Teams just trying to figure out, like, is this an appropriate level to place this player? And the Mets have traditionally been, you know, very conservative with a lot of their players. Um, So... Let's see if that catches up with them. 
I mean, it really also depends who's still running the show, right? Like, is it Sandy making these conservative calls still, or is Scott going to have more input and do some more aggressive stuff? We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> so this whole episode basically comes down to we don't know nothing. You just wasted the last forty minutes of your life listening. <laughs> right. To I mean, it, I mean, it's <laughs> fundamentally a problem, right? Because the Mets don't have mid-level prospects. They have a couple. They have like two or three depth types at AAA, and then everyone else is a low minor dude, right? And now, and then we're just kind of guessing. All right, well, who's going to break out and get to AA first? And also, would the Mets do anything crazily aggressive? And the answer to both those questions is we have no idea because it's unknowable. I mean, yes, that is that is the uh, truth of the matter, really. Maybe I'm just making excuses. I mean, but realistically, are they going to bring one of... Because we think that Brooklyn is going to have like an infield of like with Vientos there and... Mauricio and Beatty and all. So then, like, is one of them going to get pushed past that just to spread it out? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, it's going to be, like, the organizational depth guys who are kind of the filler. I don't want to call them filler because that seems like a – that's not what they are. But it's, like, it's just dudes who are in kind of – no. it's just – it's kind of like an in-no-man's land league for the Mets. Yeah, because all I, of the prospects are really young, or all their prospects are like clearly in in triple and beyond double A at this point. So like, there's nothing really here. I always make the differentiation: there are prospects, which are obviously the best players in the system, and then there are just farm hands, which are just the players that are employed by a major league baseball team and play baseball in the minor leagues as a profession. And majority of the Binghamton team is probably going to be of the farmhand type as opposed to of the prospect type. Especially early. I yes. could see it. I could see it changing if guys have hot starts in Brooklyn, you can move them up or whatever. But mm-hmm. at the beginning, I, I would be surprised. Maybe Vientos starts out in double A if they really want to push him. But even then, I don't know if that's what they'll do. That could be a disaster. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but, <laughs> you know, like. I'm trying to think of ways that they could kind of spread everything out, but even then, I, I wouldn't do that. I would just well, have to play first base. <laughs> they've already said that they're going to try Mauricio out in, in right um, field. Yeah, in the corners. So yeah, that alleviates some of it. That's true. We still don't have a shortstop and two guys at third base, but <laughs> hey, whatever. That's true. I wonder how that'll look him in the outfield. I think he could pull it off. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm just it it it's I'm glad they're doing it when he's younger and not like when he's about to make the majors. Like I'm right. glad that they're that they're looking ahead because I mean Lindor's here. For, poor for poor Ahmed so. poor Ahmed Rosario. That's exactly what basically has happened to him. Yeah, literally, mm. like three days before the season starts, they were like, Here's an outfielder's glove and he was like, Okay. <laughs> and like all that does is make everything like more annoying because if he does this stuff in Brooklyn, it doesn't matter if he makes these errors. Honestly, like that's what he's there for. But when you're making them on the big club, it's well, it's a problem at that point. So safe to say that Brooklyn will be it will be interesting, but not necessarily based on 
to play on the field as opposed to all these other kind of extraneous questions that we've raised, <laughs> which is probably not the best uh, vote of confidence for them. And also Patrick Mazzeca. And, of course, Patrick Mazzeca. Next year, though, tune in. This time next year, tune in, because it's going to be a, a hell of a roster, probably. Oh, yeah, hopefully. And I wonder if that will move the attendance uh, in Binghamton. Most likely not. But you never know. It's kind of out in the middle. I don't want to say middle of nowhere, but it's kind of... Yeah, it is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, and now for the Will Pondery of the Week. And the Will Pondery of the Week, I would say goes to the New York Mets. Just score some goddamn runs. It's back home. It's back home. <sighs> it's been bad, man. Yeah, the offense has been bad. Obviously, it's like game five of the season. So, But it goes... Probably, I, I'm talking open. specifically for DeGrom. Yeah. Yeah. It, that goes back years and years now. And I honestly, I just don't... I, I feel like it's more than... I don't really know how to qualify it because it's it's more than small sample size in that it's been whatever ninety starts. Uh, Tom Verducci says he's not unlucky yeah, though. Right, that's true. I I'm so I'm actually legitimately curious, and I should come up with a way to test this somehow. Whether the Mets' uh, offense over the years has been streakier than the rest of the league because it sure as hell feels like anytime one net is slumping they all slump and you have a two-week stretch of games that are just fucking painful to watch yeah. i don't <sighs> honestly i think at this point like this is also impossible to quantify but this is just how like i'm reading it is this is mostly the same team that it's been like lindor's new and he's been struggling as like, hey, I just got I'm the new leader here. Like that happens sometimes. It, it is what it is. And McCann is new and he's also struggling. And the rest of the roster is the same. So they've been doing this to Degrom this whole time. So like, it has to be a thing. Like when they see Degrom on thing, we're like, we have to hit today. And then they don't. And so then it's like probably in the clubhouse at that point where they're like, what are we doing? You know what I mean? Like Brandon Nimmo was in his press conference yesterday. Like, yeah, we're we're not sabotaging him. So like. They know that it's a thing that's been going on too. Like the players also are cognizant of this. So at some point, it's probably just mental that they're like, "Oh man, we really got to do this today." And then when you play like when you play a game that's as frustrating as baseball like that, it's over before it even started. Mm. Like that's my working theory that I will never be able to prove definitively because how can I'm I can't. I mean, it is a good theory. I'm not super. I mean, the, the game yesterday sucks relative to the other because of the other games. Like, but Trevor Rogers, I think it's really good, and they just yes, got carved helped. up by someone who's good. The Matt Moore one is the question. Like, it's Matt fucking Moore. Please score more than two runs off Matt Moore. The Trevor the the the, the, the Trevor Rogers one is annoying, but it's also like he's extremely good, like you said. So. Still don't know how Jazz got his bat on that ball. He smoked that, too. He, mm-hmm. he absolutely crushed it. 
All right. Well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complexqueens at gmail.com. We are still not accepting shrimp. Follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at Eldlahost343. Ken is at KenLavin91. And Thomas is at SaidMetSeason, SZN. Subscribe to the podcast or get a podcast from, rate and review it. And, of course, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. And until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.